What is it? Yeah, what is acting? If it, it's not identity theft, but it's um, it's identity transmutation. Acting is exploring places, times, and people other than our own. That's what it is. Well, that sounds like a wonderful mission statement for what we're going to do today. Yes. All right, Stuart, are you ready? So uh, just the context, he's in prison. Yep. He is. This is early in the morning. And is this prior to his um, enforced suicide? That's exactly right. So this dialogue actually comes after the apology, which we might record uh, in the near future, but he's, yep, he's okay. been sentenced to death. Okay. And Kratos right. is free. So he's not feeling the best. <clears throat> well, yeah, maybe. That's, uh, I mean, his mate's going to come and offer him the chance to escape, and uh, he's ultimately, spoiler alert, going to say no. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he's feeling. Why have you come at this hour, Crito? Must be quite early. Yes, certainly. What is the exact time? The dawn is breaking. I wonder the keeper of the prison would let you in. He knows me because I often come, Socrates. Moreover, I've done him a kindness. And are you only just come? No, I came some time ago. And why did you sit and say nothing instead of awakening me at once? Why, indeed, Socrates, I myself would rather have not have all this sleeplessness and sorrow, but I have been wondering at your peaceful slumbers, and that was the reason why I did not awaken you, because I wanted to be, I wanted you to be out of pain. I, I've always thought you happy in the calmness of your temperament, but never did I see the like of the easy, cheerful way in which you bear this calamity. Why, Crito, when a man has reached my age, he ought not to be repining at the prospect of death. And yet other old men find themselves in similar misfortunes and age does not prevent them from repining. Oh, well, that may be that you've not told me why you come at this early hour. I come to bring you a message which is sad and painful, not as I believe to yourself, but to all of us who are your friends and saddest of all to me. What? I suppose that the ship has come from Delos, on the arrival of which I am to die? No, the ship has not actually arrived, but she will probably be here today, as persons who have come from Sunium tell me that they have left her there, and therefore tomorrow, Socrates, will be the last day of your life. <sighs> Very well, Crito, if such is the will of God, I am willing. But my belief is that there will be a delay of a day. Why do you say this? Well, I'll tell you. I'm to die on the day after the arrival of the ship. Yes, that is what the authorities say. But I do not think that the ship will be here until tomorrow. This I gather from a vision which I had last night, or rather only just now, when you fortunately allowed me to sleep. And what was the nature of the vision? Well, there came to me the likeness of a woman, fair and comely, clothed in white raiment, who called to me and said, O oh, Socrates, the third day hence to Phythia shalt thou go. What a singular dream, Socrates. Well, there can be no doubt about the meaning, Crito, I think. Yes, 
the meaning is only too clear, but, oh, my beloved Socrates, let me entreat you once more to take my advice and escape. Uh, if you die, I shall not only lose a friend who can never be replaced, but there is another evil. People who do not know you and me will believe that I might have saved you if I had been willing to give money, but that I did not care. Uh, now, can there be a worse disgrace in this, that I should be thought to value money more than the life of a friend? For the many will not be persuaded that I wanted you to escape and that you refused. But why, my dear Crito, should we care about the opinion of the many? <laughs> Good men, and they're the only persons who are worth considering, will think of these things truly as they happen. But do you see, Socrates, that the opinion of the many must be regarded? as is evident in your own case, because they can do the very greatest evil to anyone who has lost their good opinion. I only wish, Crito, that they could. But then they could also do the greatest good, and that would be well. But the truth is that they can do neither good nor evil. They cannot make a man wise or make him foolish. And whatever they do is the result of chance. Well... I won't dispute about that, but please to tell me, Socrates, whether you are not acting out of regard to me and your other friends, are, are you not afraid <laughs> that if you escape hence, we may get into trouble with the informers for having stolen you away and lose either the whole or a great part of our property or that a, even a worse evil may happen to us? Now, if this is your fear, be at ease. For in order to save you, we ought surely to run this or even a greater risk. Be persuaded then, and do as I say. Oh, yes, Crito, that is one fear which you mentioned, but by no means the only one. Fear not. There are persons who at no great cost are willing to save you and bring you out of prison. And as for the ah. informers, you may observe that they are far from being exorbitant in their demands. A little money will satisfy them. My means, which, as I am sure, ample are at your service. And if you have a scruple about spending all mine, here are strangers who will give you the use of theirs. And one of them, Simeus the Theban, has brought a sum of money for this very purpose. And Cebes and, and many others are willing to spend their money too. I say, therefore, oh. do not turn on that account... Do not on that account hesitate about making your escape. And don't say, as you did in the court, that you'll have great difficulty in knowing what to do with yourself if you escape. For men will love you in other places to which you may go. And not in Athens only. There are friends of mine in Thessaly. If you like to go to them, who, who will value and protect you. And no Thessalian will give you any trouble. Nor can I think that you're justified, Socrates, in betraying your own life when you might be saved. This is playing into the hands of your enemies and destroyers. And moreover, I should say that you are betraying your children. For you might bring them up and educate them, instead of which you go and leave them and they will have to take their chance. And if they do not meet with the usual fate of orphans, there will be, there will be small thanks to you. No man should bring children into this world who is unwilling to persevere to the end in their nurture and education. But you are choosing the easier part, as I think, not the better and manlier, oh. which would rather have become one who professes virtue in all his actions like yourself. And indeed, I am ashamed, not only of you, but of us who, who are your friends, when I reflect that this entire business of yours will be attributed to our want of courage. 
The trial need never have come on or might have been brought to another issue. And the end of all, which is the crowning absurdity, will seem to have been permitted by us through cowardice and baseness who might have saved you, as you might have saved yourself if we had been good for anything, for there was no difficulty in escaping. And we did not see how disgraceful Socrates and also miserable all of this will be to us as well as you make your mind up then, or rather have your mind already made up for the time of deliberation is over and there is only one thing to be done which must be done if at all this very night in which any delay will render all but impossible. I beseech you therefore Socrates to be persuaded by me and do as I say. Ah, dear Crito, your zeal is invaluable if a right one. But if wrong, the greater the zeal, the greater the evil. And therefore we ought to consider whether these things shall be done or not. For I am and always have been one of those natures who must be guided by reason. Whatever the reason may be, which upon reflection appears to me to be the best. Now that this fortune has come upon me, I cannot put away the reasons which I have before given. Principles which I've hitherto honoured and revered, and I still honour. And unless we can find other and better principles on the instant, I'm certain not to agree with you. <laughs> no, not even if the power of the multitudes could inflict many more imprisonments or confiscations, deaths, frightening us like children with hobgoblin terrors. But what will be the fairest way of considering the question? Shall I return to your old argument about the opinions of men, some of which are to be regarded, and others, as we were saying, are not to be regarded? Now, we were right in maintaining this before I was condemned. And has the argument, which was once good, now proved to be talk for the sake of talking, in fact, an amusement only, and altogether vanity? That is what I want to consider with your help, Crito, whether, under my present circumstances, the argument appears to be in any way different or not, and is to be allowed by me or disallowed. That argument, which, as I believe, is maintained by many who assume to be authorities, was to the effect, as I was saying, that the opinions of some men are to be regarded and of other men not to be regarded. Now, you, Crito, are a disinterested person who, who's not going to die tomorrow. <laughs> At least, there's no human probability of this, and you are therefore not liable to be deceived by the circumstances in which you are placed. Tell me, then, whether I'm right in saying that some opinions and the opinions of some men only are to be valued, and other opinions and the opinions of other men are not to be valued. I asked you whether I was right in maintaining that. Certainly. The good are to be regarded and not the bad. Yes. And the opinions of the wise are good and the opinions of the unwise are evil. Certainly. And what was said about another matter? Was the dis disciple in gymnastics supposed to attend to the praise and blame of every man or of one man only? His physician or trainer, whoever that was. 
one man only. And he ought to fear the censure and welcome, the praise of that one only, not the many. That is clear. And he ought to live and train and eat and drink in the way which seems good to his single master who has understanding, rather than according to the opinion of all other men put together. True. And if he disobeys and disregards the opinion and approval of the one and regards the opinion of the many who have no understanding, will he not suffer evil? Certainly he will. And what will the evil be? Whither tending and what affecting in the disobedient person? Clearly affecting the body, that is what is destroyed by the evil. Very good. And is it true, Crito, of other things which we need not separately enumerate, in the matter of just and unjust, fair and foul, good and evil, which are the subjects of our present consultation, ought we to follow the opinion of the many and to fear them? Or the opinion of the one man who has understanding and whom we ought to fear and reverence more than all the rest of the world? And whom deserting we shall destroy and injure that principle in us which may be assumed to be improved by justice and deteriorated by injustice. Is there not such a principle? Certainly there is, Socrates. Well, take a parallel instance. If acting under the advice of men who have no understanding, we destroy that which is improvable by health and deteriorated by disease... What then has been destroyed, I say, would life be worth having? And that is the body. Yes. Could we live having an evil and corrupted body? Certainly not. And will life be worth having if that higher part of man be depraved? which is improved by justice and deteriorated by injustice. Do we suppose that principle, whatever it may be in man, which has to do with justice and injustice, to be inferior to the body? Certainly not. More honoured, then? Far more honoured. Then, my friend... We must not regard what the many say of us, but what he, the one man who has understanding of just and unjust, will say, and what the truth will say. And therefore you begin in error when you suggest that we should regard the opinion of the many about just and unjust, good and evil, honourable and dishonourable. Well... Someone will say, but the many can kill us. Yes, Socrates, that will clearly be the answer. Now, that is true. But still I find with surprise that the old argument is, as I conceive, unshaken as ever. And I should like to know whether I may say the name of another proposition. But not life, but a good life is to be chiefly valued. Yes, that also remains. 
And a good life is equivalent to a just and honourable one. That holds also? Yes, that holds. From these premises, I proceed to argue the question whether I ought or ought not to try to escape without the consent of the Athenian. And if I'm clearly right in escaping, then I will make the attempt. But if not, I will abstain. The other considerations, which you mentioned, the money and the loss of character and the duty of educating children, are, I fear, only the doctrines of the multitude, who would be as ready to call people to life if they were able as they are to put them to death, and with as little reason. Now, since the argument has thus far prevailed, the only question which remains to be considered is whether we shall do rightly, either in escaping or in suffering others to aid in our escape and paying them in money and thanks, or whether we shall not do rightly. And if the latter, then death or any other calamity which may ensue on my remaining here must not be allowed to enter into the calculation. I think that you are right, Socrates. How then shall we proceed? Well, uh, well let us consider the matter together. And do you either refute me if you can, and I will be convinced, or else cease, my dear friend from repeating to me that I ought to escape against the wishes of the Athenians. For I'm extremely desirous to be persuaded by you, but not against my own better judgment. And now, please, to consider my first position and do your best to answer me. I will do my best. Are we to say that we are never intentionally to do wrong, or that in one way we ought and in another way we ought not to do wrong, or is doing wrong always evil and dishonourable, as I was just now saying, and as has been already acknowledged by us. Are all our former admissions, which were made within a few days, to be thrown away? Have we at our age been earnestly discoursing with one another all our life long only to discover that we are no better than children? Or are we to rest assured, in spite of the opinion of the many, and in spite of consequences, whether better or worse, of the truth of what was then said, that injustice is always an evil and dishonour to him who acts unjustly. Shall we affirm that? Yes. Then we must do no wrong? Certainly not. Nor when injured, injure in return, as the many imagine. Or we must injure no one at all? Clearly not. Again, Crito, may we do evil? Surely not, Socrates. And what is doing evil in return for evil, which is the morality of the many? Is that just or not? Not just. Or doing evil to another is the same as injuring him? 
very true. Then we ought not to retaliate or render evil for evil to anyone, whatever evil we may have suffered from him. But I would have you consider, Crito, whether you really mean what you are saying. Well, this opinion has never been held and never will be held by any considerable number of persons. And those who are agreed and those who are not agreed upon upon this point have no common ground and can only despise one another when they see how widely they differ. Tell me then whether you agree with and assent to my first principle that neither injury nor retaliation or warding of evil by evil is ever right. And shall that be the premise of our agreement? Or do you decline and consent from this? Well, this has been of old and is still my opinion. But if you are of another opinion, let me hear what you have to say. If, however, you remain of the same mind as formerly, I will proceed to the next step. You may proceed. I do not decline or dissent from this. I have not changed my mind. Well, then I will proceed to the next step, which may be put in the form of a question. Ought a man to do what he admits to be right, or ought he to betray the right? He ought to do what he thinks is right. But if this is true, what is the application? In leaving the prison against the will of the Athenians, I do wrong any, do I? Or rather, do I not wrong those who I ought least to wrong? Do I not desert the principles which were acknowledged by us to be just? And what do you say? I cannot tell Socrates, for I, I don't know. Well, and consider the matter in this way. Imagine that I'm about to play truant, you may call a proceeding by any name you like, and the laws of the government come and interrogate me. Tell us, Socrates, they say, what are you about? What are you going, uh, are you going by an act of yours to overturn us, the laws and the whole state, as far as in you lies? Do you imagine that a state can subsist and not be overthrown and which the decisions of law have no power but are set aside and overthrown by individuals? What will be our answer, creator, to these and the like words? Anyone, and especially a Kebel rhetorician, will have a good deal to urge about the evil of setting aside the law which requires a sentence to be carried out. And we might reply... Yes, but the state has injured us and given us an unjust sentence. Suppose I say that. Very good, Socrates. And what uh, was that our agreement with you, the law would say? Or were you to abide by the sentence of the state? And if I were to express astonishment at their saying this, the law would probably add, answer, Socrates, instead of opening your eyes. You're in the habit of asking and answering questions. Tell us what complaint you have to make against us which justifies you in attempting to destroy us and the state. In the first place, did we not bring you into existence? Your father married your mother by our aid and begat you. Say whether you have any objection to urge against those of us who regulate marriage. None, I should reply. Or against those of us who regulate the system of nurture and education of children in which you were trained. 
were not the laws who had the charge of this right in commanding your father to train you in music and gymnastic? Right, I should reply. Well, then, since you were brought into the world and nurtured uh, and educated by us, can you deny in the first place that you are our child and slave as your fathers were before you? And if this is true, you are not on equal terms with us, nor can you think that you have a right to do to us what we were doing to you. Would you have any right to strike or revile or do any other evil to a father or to your master, if you had one, when you've been struck or reviled by him or received some other evil at his hands? You would not say this. And because we think right to destroy you, do you think that you have any right to destroy us in return and your country as far as in you lies? And will you, O oh professor of true virtue, Say that you're justified in this? Has a philosopher like you failed to discover that our country is more to be valued and higher and holier far than mother or father or any ancestor and more to be regarded in the eyes of the gods and of men of understanding, also to be soothed and gently and reverently entreated when angry, even more than a father, and if not persuaded obeyed. And when we are punished by her, whether with imprisonment or stripes, the punishment is to be endured in silence. And if she leads us to wounds or death in battle, thither we follow as is right. Neither may anyone yield or retreat or leave his rank, but whether in battle or in a court of law or in any other place, he must do what this city and his country order him. Or he must change their view of what is just. And if he may do no violence to his father or mother, much less may he do violence to his country. Well, what answer shall we make to this, Crito? Do the laws speak truly or do they not? I think they do. Then the laws will say, Consider, Socrates, if this be true, that in your present attempt you are going to do us wrong. For after having brought you into the world and nurtured and educated you and given you ev and every other citizen a share in every good that we had to give, we further proclaim and give the right to every Athenian that if he does not like us when he has come of age and he has seen the ways of the city and made our acquaintance, he may go where he pleases and take his goods with him. None of us, none of us will forbid him or interfere with him. But he who disobeys us is as we maintain thrice wrong, because in disobeying us, he is disobeying his parents. Secondly, because we are the authors of his education. Thirdly, because he has made an agreement with us that he will duly obey our commands. And he neither obeys them nor convinces us that our commands are wrong. And we do not rudely impose them but given the alternative of obeying or convincing us. 
That is what we offer, and he does neither. These are the sort of accusations to which, as we were saying, you, Socrates, will be exposed if you accomplish your intentions. You, above all, all other Athenians. Well, suppose I asked, why is this? They will justly retort upon me that I, above all other men, have acknowledged the agreement. There is clear proof, they will say, Socrates, that we and the city were not displeasing to you. Of all Athenians, you have been the most constant resident in the city, which, as you never leave, you may be supposed to love. For you never went out of the city, either to see the games, except once when you went to the Isthmus, or to any other place unless where, when you were on military service, nor did you travel as other men, uh, nor had you any curiosity to know other states or their laws. Your affections did not go beyond us and our state in which you begat your children, which is a proof of your satisfaction. Moreover, you might, if you would like, have fixed the penalty and banishment in the course of the trial. The state which refuses to let you go now would have let you go then. You pretended that you preferred death to exile, and that you were not grieved at death. Now you have forgotten these fine sentiments and pay no respect to us, the laws of whom you are the destroyer, and are doing oh, what only a miserable slave would do, running away and turning your back upon the compacts and agreements which you made as a citizen. First of all, answer this very question. Are we right in saying that you agreed to be governed according to us in deed and not in word only? Is that true or not? And how shall we answer that, Crito? Must we not agree? There is no help, Socrates. Then will they not say, you, Socrates, are breaking the covenants and agreements which you made with us at your leisure, not in any haste or under any compulsion or deception. But having had 70 years to think of them, during which time you were at liberty to leave the city, if we were not to your mind or if our covenants appeared to you to be unfair, you had your choice. You might have gone either to... Lacedaemon or Crete, which you often praise for their good government, or to some other Hellenic or foreign state. Whereas you, above all other Athenians, seem to be so fond of the state, or, in other words, of us, the laws, or who would like a state that has no laws, that you never stirred out of her. The halt, the blind, the maimed were not more stationary in her than you were. And now you run away and forsake your agreements. Not so, Socrates. If you will take our advice, do not make yourself ridiculous by escaping out of the city. But just consider, if you transgress and err in this sort of way, what good will you do, either to yourself or to your friends, that your friends will be driven into exile and deprived of citizenship or will lose their property is tolerably certain. And you yourself, 
If you fly to one of the neighboring cities, as for example, Thebes or Megara, both of which are well-governed cities, will come to them as an enemy, Socrates, and their government will be against you, and all patriotic citizens will cast an evil eye upon you as a subverter of the laws, and you will confirm in the minds of the judges the justice of their own condemnation of you. For he who is a corrupter of the laws is more than likely to be corrupter of the young and foolish portion of mankind. Will you then flee from a well-ordered city and virtuous men? And is existence worth having on these terms? Or will you go to them without shame and talk to them, Socrates? And what will you say to them? What do you say here about virtue and justice and institution and laws being the best things among men? Would that be decent of you? Surely not. But if you go away from well-governed states to Crito's friends and Thessaly, where there is great disorder and license, they will be charmed to have the tale of your escape from prison set off with ludicrous particulars of the manner in which you were wrapped in a goatskin or some other disguise and metamorphosed as the fashion of runaways is. That is very likely. But will there be no one to remind you that in your old age you violated the most sacred laws from a miserable desire of a little more life? Well, perhaps not. But if you keep them in a good temper, perhaps not. But if they're out of temper, you will hear many degrading things. You will live. But how? As the flatterer of all men and the servant of all men and doing what? Eating and drinking in Thessaly, having gone abroad in order that you may get a dinner. And where will be your fine sentiments about justice and virtue then? Say that you wish to live for the sake of your children, that you may bring them up and educate them. Will you take them into Sicily and deprive them of Athenian citizenship? Is that the benefit which you would confer upon them? Or are you under the impression that they will be better cared for and educated here if you are still alive, although absent from them? For that, your friends will take care of them. Do you fancy that if you are an inhabitant of Thessaly, they will take care of them? And if you are an inhabitant of the other world, they will not take care of them? Nay, but if they who call themselves friends are truly friends, they surely will. Listen then, Socrates, to us who have brought you up. Think not of life and children first and of justice afterwards, but of justice first, that you may be justified before the princes of the world below. For neither will you nor any that belong to you be happier or holier or juster in this life or happier in another if you do as Crito bids. Now you depart in innocence. A sufferer? and not a doer of evil, a victim, not of the laws, but of men. But if you go forth returning evil for evil and injury for injury, breaking the covenants and agreements which you made with us, and wronging those whom you ought least to wrong, that is to say, yourself, your friends, 
your country and us. We shall be angry with you while you live. And our brethren, the laws in the world below, will receive you as an enemy. For they will know that you have done your best to destroy us. Listen then to us, not to This is the voice which I seem to hear murmuring in my ears, like the sound of the flute in the ears of the mystic. That voice, I say, Crito, is humming in my ears and prevents me from hearing any other. And I know that anything more which you say will be in vain. Yet speak. If you have anything to say. I have nothing to say, Socrates. Then let me follow the intimations of the will of God. There we go. There we go. That was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> That's a devastating dialogue, isn't it? Like, I, isn't I'd it read just, it, yes. but there's something about hearing, like, yeah, the voice. Yeah. You just can't pick it up off the page. They're like, yeah. No, they need to be performed. They need to be performed. They're characters. It's a play. (laughs) Yeah.